and we were getting to know each other. And he goes, well, why don't you take your shirt off and we'll go in the back bar. And I was, I remember like, oh, what, <laughs> what did you say? Why don't I take my shirt off? <laughs> like I was so put off by it. Hello, my name is Kay Anderson and you are listening to Lost Spaces, the podcast that mourns the death of queer nightlife. Every episode, I talk to a different person about a venue from their past, the memories that they created there, and the people that they used to know. Okay, so hear me out on what I'm about to say, because I know that it's going to come across as a little bit ridiculous on first listen, but... Mm, I think there's merit to it. So when you have never been to a leather bar, it's really, really easy to view them as seedy and debaucherous and a little bit scary maybe. And yeah, okay, so they are all of those things, but they are also surprisingly quite wholesome. Well, maybe not wholesome. Okay, maybe I should take that back. But they're close to that. They definitely give a more down-to-earth and judgment-free alternative to some of the more mainstream queer spaces that you can find in big cities. And one of the Lost Leather Bars that happens to have the absolute best name ever and is the space that we're talking about today is Chicago's Manhole. No, you didn't mishear me. Manhole. That is the name of the bar, or it was at least. This week I am joined by the singer-songwriter Homer Mars, who first moved to Chicago at the turn of the century to study improv comedy and slowly but surely spread his wings in the city's queer scene. But there were one or two hard lessons along the way, so let's find out all about it. kind of school class thing and you go out with people after class to a bar are you like the really annoying people in that bar well I'll say this when you're starting off you know and you're like in your introductory level one classes usually people are so excited to be around other funny people or around other extroverted people Mm -hmm. that yeah there can be some annoying people in scenarios and you know you definitely get some people who are for the first time in their lives feel licensed to be funny and so then they want to be on stage everywhere they go and that gets incredibly annoying (laughs) um but when you stick with it you kind of just recognize that as like level one behavior you know what i mean like like your level one class and then yeah but people can then get kind of like (laughs) i don't know the deeper you get into it some people are like save the jokes for the stage, you know, or I remember having times where I was like, God, some of these people are zero fun off stage, (laughs) but, but that wasn't the norm. I think, um, people become more keenly aware of when, when is the time for jokes and when is not, you know what I mean? Um, so I would say to answer your question, the level one students are the annoying people at the bar. The ones who've been doing it for three to five years have developed some self-awareness. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. (laughs) (laughs) So the reason I'm asking about a bar, obviously, is because we're here Mm -hmm. to talk about a bar. 
And uh-huh. that bar is manhole. Manhole. Man, I mean, manhole. Can we just give it up, first of all, for that name? I mean, what a name. What a and name. I don't know what year it opened, but they had that in the 90s for sure. Just, it's a thing of beauty, a thing of wonder. Did you ever go to manhole with people from your class or is there no way for us to segue from these questions to talking about manhole? It's a, it's completely a, a it's it's Segway-able? a natural segue because Segway-able? it was Segway-able? Segway-able. <laughs> it was in the same neighborhood as I am. <gasps> and yet at the time I was one of the only gays in the village at IO. You know, you take an improv class now and it's probably 30% people who identify <laughs> as LGBTQ in 2001 to 2004, which is the period we're talking about, there were like three of us out of the closet at I.O. And I.O., between its students and its performers, at the time was probably a community of about 200 people. Uh-huh. You count the, the students and the performers and the teachers, is my guess. And at the time, very few of us were out. Very few. And comedy was still very much the sort of boys club, old school rules. Um, so no, I never... Never went to Manhole with someone from I.O. But Manhole was the after hours bar when you were like oh. feeling drunk and lonely. Oh. And it was very, very late because Manhole was open until 4 a.m. Okay, so it's Manhole by name, Manhole by nature. Mm-hmm. Mm. It's truth and advertising. <laughs> um, so Manhole was not where you would say to your classmates, hey, guys, let's go get a beer. Manhole was when you would have a night out with your friends and then say, okay, I'm going to take a cab and go home. And then you would take a cab and go to Manhole. Ah, okay. I'm going to like this story. So then, do you remember the first time you ever went to Manhole? You know, I was thinking about that because I I assumed it would come up, and sadly, I don't. But I do remember thinking I would never go there. Oh, you were one of those gays. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was young and wholesome, and I came from a clean-cut background. I went to a clean-cut college, and I when I got to Chicago... A girl from my Chicago improv troupe who was a couple years older was there and she was straight and we were going to get together for a drink. And in her email, she said, um, you know, I'm an old law student now, so don't expect me to go dancing with you till 4 a.m. at Manhole. And I remember just even the thought of that was like, I would never like (laughs) Manhole. I would never. And I wrote to her in my email. I was like, I, I can't remember how I phrased it, but I was like, I would not be caught dancing or dead at any place called Manhole. Oh, how boring he was. I was so boring. <laughs> I was so boring. And that mentality lasted maybe eight months. And um, but, but so, okay, so let's let's stay on that. Like, how, how did you end up being wholesome? Oh, I was still a child. I mean, I was 22. Hmm. You know, I grew up in a wholesome world. I went to Catholic schools. I was timid. I was shy. I was never a rebel. You know, I, I was someone who who saved his rebellion for when he was, I think, an adult. In high school, I never smoked a cigarette. I never drank a beer until like prom night, I think, was when I had my first beer. Ah. Um, anything that I perceived to be dirty, I was just like, ew. Okay. You know what I mean? And so the time it takes to convert a wholesome person into a scum bucket. Oh, that was my words, not <laughs> Did you just words. call me a scum bucket, Kay? I did, um, into a uh, more adventurous. That's a, I like that phrasing a lot better. More yeah. adventurous person is eight months. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yeah, I guess that's it. I guess that's So what happened in those eight months then to change you? I think it's more of, I never really gave consideration to going to a leather bar. I didn't know what a leather bar was. Mm-hmm. That's something we haven't said yet. Manhole was a leather bar. And I I wasn't aware of what that even was. I was still just new to being gay. I didn't date in college. 
I wasn't ready to like dive headfirst into the gay world. I kind of needed to walk into it a little bit naturally. So anything that seemed extreme was just too too scary for yeah, me. Yeah. Um, so the bars that at the time that I liked were the ones that were like just more like mixed gender dance clubs that were gay type mm-hmm. of thing. But then, yeah, pretty quickly I I started to be comfortable going to wherever. And I realized that I also have always been a night owl. And in Chicago, bars can close at 2 a.m. or they can close at 4 a.m. So Manhole was one that had a 4 a.m. license. So the 4 a.m. bars typically get busy starting at like 1230 or 1 in the yeah, morning. Yeah. And so people who are just sort of naturally up then, you know, gravitate towards it. And I realized that those darker environments – just were appealing to me because I'd never been in them. And the conversations that went on in there were different. And, you know, it was a change. And I think I was just kind of ready for that. So let me just make sure that we've covered off this question before I move on to the next question. You're saying the thing that helped corrupt you was familiarity with the scene and you needed somewhere to go after 2 a.m. Well, I didn't use the word corrupts. <laughs> yeah, okay, I'll own it. That's my word. But yeah, and, and I was, you know, I was attracted to offbeat stuff, you know. Ma- mainstream things bored me pretty quickly, and I was still very much learning who I was and what I liked. I mean, I was so young. I was just out of college and, mm-hmm. you know. So this being your first time out of college, what was going on for you other than studying at that time? Like you've said you were quite wholesome. Um, I was new. I was trying to date for the first time. I really didn't date until after college, you know, because I came out during college. I figured it out when I was in college and I wasn't comfortable with it. So, and I went to a very non-gay college, you know, like I'm sure there's a, a lot more students who are openly gay today uh, just because that's the way of the world. But I was dating really for the first time and having all of those, you know, if someone attractive kissed me, I'd fall in love. Oh, <laughs> you know, like goodness. all of those really innocent things that happen to us when we're that new mm-hmm. to it all. Mm-hmm. So coming to Chicago was... Oh, I can't really think of anything to say other than really cheesy questions. But like, was like you spreading your wings, like find, finding yeah, your that's, gay self. That's, yeah, exactly. It was... It was a whole new world for me. I had gone to college in Boston, so I was in a different city. And and being, you know, there's that's I don't know if it's the same age for you all in England, but I 22 is like you're just entering the world in many ways. I was living; it was the first time I was living independently. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? College very much had a structure, like it was being away at school. But now I was responsible for everything. Um, I had big ambitions and I wanted to get really good at improv so I could be on Saturday Night Live and you know I was and then as far as the gay thing went I was still learning what kind of men I was attracted to Ah. you know and have you figured it out oh yeah for now I have yeah (gasps) so does that mean you have a type um I I know what qualities I like oh okay okay so you're not like he has to be seven foot three and he has to be three foot seven that's very hard Ah. Ah. (laughs) I'm just kidding um it's it's more I, I like um large men if you're asking um in terms of if it's a type I mean I would say I like guys who are you know large to extra extra large um but it's definitely the more like qualities now that I wasn't a 
you know, as keen to when I was younger of like, how does he treat his family? Does he have any goals? Is he funny? That's obviously the hugest one. If you, you have to be able to develop a rapport, mm. but then there's plenty of, you meet plenty of people who can make you laugh really well, but you don't feel a, a romantic spark. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, yeah, there's too many boxes that need to be ticked, right? I know. <sighs> fussy, fussy. Um, and so are you able to talk to me about coming to terms with your sexuality? Sure. Because to me, like, it seems quite late. Yeah. Well, it was the 90s that I was discovering that I was gay. And I came from a world where I really didn't know any gay people. Mm-hmm. And I was in a college that was not very gay. Mm-hmm. You know, I I think I just deferred that bit of myself, you know, growing uh, up. Yeah. And I had, you know, self-esteem issues in high school. So I didn't, sadly, I didn't consider myself dateable in high school. And I went to a school where it wasn't super big. So most students really didn't date, you know, we... Some students did, but it was not most. And so I was able to kind of defer that through high school. And then when I got to college, suddenly girls were hitting on me. And I had not experienced that before. And I was like, what's going on? I was confused by it. And, you know, I tried to nurture any attraction that I felt towards girls. And I realized this isn't really going anywhere. And I'm just not feeling anything. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't really have a desire to be with women and I liked women very, very much, but it was, you know, platonic. Mm-hmm. And then I started to notice that I was having like feelings around men that I knew in my life. And that was very hard because at the time I was around all straight people. So, you know, it was just like 18, 19 year old getting crushes on completely unavailable guys, mm-hmm. completely unavailable. Mm-hmm. So that caused me to be really depressed. You know, and I started seeing a therapist and tried to get to the bottom of why I was so depressed. And I knew my sexuality was an issue, but it took me a long time to even want to talk about it in therapy. And, you know, at the time, we were still very scared by um, HIV and AIDS. And there still wasn't much representation of LGBTQ in the media. You know, there was like RuPaul. (laughs) I think uh, Ellen DeGeneres had just come out. But... I think all of that just made me very t- terrified, sadly, mm. at the time. And it's it's nice to see that um, society, at least a lot of parts of the world, society's changing for the better where people are coming out younger and younger and they're, you know, obviously it's still a, a hard issue for many, but I think it's gotten a lot, it seems to me like at least it's gotten a lot better and people are much more comfortable coming out mm. younger. And, and so when you did come to terms with it and were like, yeah, I'm not straight. Was that a relief or was it still something no, you had to work it was, through? It was, I felt very hurt. I was mad. Mm. I, was, I was coming from this belief that was, I think, largely socially imposed that to be gay was inferior. It was the short end of the stick. It was bad. Mm-hmm. And I really didn't want it to be true. And I felt like I was fighting it for a long time, you know, like fighting to try to find ways that I could be straight or to find ways that my crushes on men were not really crushes and all these sorts of things. And then I finally just threw in the towel and was like, no, I'm gay. And so at first it was really hard. And then my family was very accepting and that was very helpful because I wasn't sure. I knew my immediate family would be, but I wasn't sure if my extended family would Mm -hmm. be. And they were. And I was, and it's funny because looking back now, I'm like, wow, I can't believe I even questioned that they would be accepting of Mm -hmm. it. But you know, you have all kinds of things going through your head at the time and I no longer feel that way about it, thankfully, but for a time I did. Mm-hmm. For a time I felt like, why do I have to be gay? This sucks, you know. D- 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 
So then by the time that you got to Chicago, were you, was the Diana Ross song I'm Coming Out playing in your head or were you still? <gasps> no, Pink's um, Get the Party Started oh, was I around see, that time. I see. Yeah. And that's where I started to really like have fun was I moved to Boys Town in Chicago and suddenly I was like, whoa, gay bars? Like I had gone to some gay bars in Boston when I was in college, but I didn't live anywhere near them. And mm-hmm. I, I was, you know, they were very isolated experience. I never had like a friend to go with. I went by myself and I didn't go a lot. So this was like, wow, this is a place where there's like lots of gay bars and I live right by them. And yeah, I was very much like a kid in the candy store. I was so excited and and it was all new to me, you know. And And so then what are your prevailing memories from that time? Oof. Well, I remember <laughs> smoking in bars, which is funny because you can't do that anymore. <laughs> but at the time it was smoke, wait, smoke, wait, smoke. Wait, and, like and we all when smoked. you remember it, are you remembering it like, wow, that was amazing? Or like, ugh. Yes, disgusting. I am. I'm oh, remembering okay. it like, wow, that was amazing. But <laughs> <laughs> it was cool. Um, I mean, oh. prevailing memories. You know, I had my heart broken so many times in those three years because I was just so young and innocent. And if a if a guy that I found, you know, handsome also found me handsome, mm-hmm. I was like in love right away and with knowing nothing about them. And then I was so like young and eager, I would come on so strong and they would be like, whoa, this guy is a lot. And that was not good for my dating life. Um, isn't it good that you didn't live in a time when you could send them 300 text messages just checking up on how they're doing? Right. I am very <laughs> grateful we did not have social media then because I would have been oh, gosh, terrible. Oh, gosh, yeah. Your phone's oh, wallpaper yeah. would be some picture that you scraped from his Instagram, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Because it's kind of nice, isn't it, to like when, you know, you had those innocent crushes to just have that world in your imagination and not be able to go and find information about them. Oh, yeah. There was mystery. Now the problem today is like there's not a lot of mystery. You know, people, when they find you and they find you're cute and they want your Instagram right away and then, you know, they're suddenly learning. It's like too much information at once. Yeah. But maybe it's a good thing, though. Because you can get sick of them quicker. Well, it's it's a good thing when there's like red flags. Yeah, yeah. When when there's like red flags that you want to know about someone, you're like, okay, I'm glad I know that right away, you know. But I don't know. I feel like sometimes for other stuff, it's just you can binge on someone pretty quickly, depending on how much they yeah, post. Yeah. And, and a lot of us post pretty frequently. Yeah, and I mean, you know? look, there is still a mystery because they're only showing a side of themselves that they want you to see. So you're still exactly. not getting to know them. But, you're making a good point. I didn't think about that, but you're making a very good point. But yeah. there's still, like, it's too much. I prefer to just live in my own brain where I can make it as splendid as I want. <laughs> That's lovely. <laughs> um, and what, what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah. It's a hard lesson, isn't it? Learning that just because someone shows interest in you doesn't mean they love you. Oh my God. Yeah. And that's actually a good phrase for that time in my life. It was a time of hard lessons. It really was, you know, in improv, you know, I was learning, I couldn't get away with sloppy performance habits I'd gotten in college. Uh In college, I was performing to basically a group of my peers, you know, I was performing to other students from Boston college. And so much of what I was getting by on was just inside jokes. I didn't even know that though. And then I get to Chicago and I'm I'm suddenly performing with people who are really good and have been good for longer than I've been improvising. And I, I had a 
big ego check. I thought I was better than I was, mm-hmm. you know, like I thought I was more talented than I was or – and that's not really the word I guess. But I just – I thought I was better than I was and I had to learn like, wow, I'm not that good. Like I'm fine but these people are amazing and I thought I was amazing and I'm not. <laughs> and, and then the same thing with the bar scene and the love scene. It's like, you know, I had to learn – ooh. Guys might say stuff that they don't mean, <laughs> you know, Never. might talk you up big and sweet if they want something from you. And then afterwards, see you later. And that was all new to me. I was a bit, you know, it was hard, hard lessons. I think that's a good. Oh, yeah, because that term. was like the biggest mind fuck for me when people did that kind of like oh i've never felt this way about anyone and then they like build you up and get you all like excited and then the next day they don't want to talk to you again and you're like but why did you say that oh i completely agree and i went through so much of that and i I think now too looking back a lot of it was related to alcohol and i didn't realize the role that alcohol Mm. played in when i was meeting people you know one advantage to meeting people on the apps because the apps didn't exist then is you can meet in sober environments. And every guy that I met was tipsy or drunk or I was tipsy or drunk, mm-hmm. you know. And you're in an altered state. It's it's like they're meeting the altered version of me and I'm meeting the altered version of them. And then when we both get sober, it's kind of like, who are you? And that, that even took me a very long time to understand. You know? But so when you are tipsy, do you just make shit up? Oh, no, no, no. But – like I was always slow to say I love you, so I wasn't the, the person to introduce that mm-hmm. into a relationship too soon. But people will sweet talk mm. you, you mm. know. Um, well, yeah, and the thing about I love you, right, is sometimes you just want to try out how it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Not really. I, can you can you go on? A I little mean, bit well, about okay. That? So there is this whole way in which we're socialized to think that everyone is going to find someone that they fall in love with. And so we're kind of trained from very young human beings to think of ourselves as romantic and capable of falling in love. And so we're primed and thinking like, oh, I need to find someone to fall in love with. I need to find someone to fall in love with. And so when we are young, we can be in a hurry to achieve that and to to meet people. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And then there's also all the media that we consume, which, again, I suppose supports the socialization thing. But we see people falling in love. We see it as a good thing because it's always like the happy ending, the end of a movie. And so we're like, hmm, I need to get there quickly. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so and so like having someone where you feel like, oh, I can say this to this person, it's kind yeah. of enticing. And it doesn't really matter about that person. It's just the notion of love. I fully understand what you're saying. Um, I don't think I personally did that because I was just so terrified of saying I love you. But I, I certainly understand what you're saying and, and I can see how that would be enticing to a lot of people. But I think in, in terms of like when you're tipsy, you don't make stuff up. There's truth in that. But certainly when I was drinking back then, I don't drink anymore. But when I was drinking back then, I was just looking for companionship when I was mm-hmm. drunk, you know, at the end of the night. And so there was a dishonesty in me flirting with a man yeah. that that you thought was a five yeah exactly you know, <laughs> because you're just wanting a warm body yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not to be alone and it's you know that's it's sad to think of it now but but yeah so it's like you don't really like just make stuff up but 
you do, I think, pursue people that you wouldn't pursue sober. How do you, you know? respond when you're hitting on someone who you wouldn't normally hit on, but their pickings are slim, so you're just like, okay, you'll you'll do, and then that person turns you down, and you want to say, listen, How yeah, dare you? listen, I wasn't interested in you anyway, but you can't because they've now got the upper hand. How do you deal with that? That happened a few times for sure, <laughs> and I remember having this like, excuse me, you're a five, and I'm a seven and a half at least. So what do you think you're doing? Um, I don't know. I blew it with guys back then. So like hard lessons, like I would get too excited and be drunk and I would be on like Red Bull and vodka. So it's just like all kinds of energy. And I definitely had times where a guy would like wave me over and I would go over and I'd be coming at him at 110 miles an hour. (laughs) Within 15 minutes, he'd be like, it was nice to meet you. Guys would wave you over? What? Like, Like come hither. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dark bar, manhole. Manhole got a lot of at the time. This is something I don't see much anymore. But at the time, manhole got guys who were in the closet Mm -hmm. and terrified. I met guys in that time at manhole very late at night who were living as straight men uh, who were very much uncomfortable with being in a bar but had gotten so loaded that they would give Uh, themselves the courage to go to one. And manhole was where they would go thinking that they'd, you know, maybe get a little ooh-la-la for the night and then go back to being straight the next day. And I don't see that anymore. I'm sure that still exists. And it also probably depends on where you live. But, like, in Chicago, I stopped seeing that in a a while because, again, social attitudes towards homosexuality, you know. And bisexuality. Oh, yeah, and bisexuality, exactly. Like, we're we're just much more – people are more comfortable now, I think, being who they are. But, yeah, I remember I went home with a man from the bar – And I remember like feeling sorry for him. He had come from, there was a very, very straight bar nearby. So the interesting thing about Boys Town Chicago is it's right next Mm -hmm. to Wrigleyville, which is where the Wrigley Field uh, ballpark is and sports bars and like historic sports bars and like the, the straightest of the straight. And nowadays, again, people are so much more comfortable with LGBTQ that it's there's a blend of everyone everywhere kind of. But at the time it was very polarized and it was like, you're in the wrong bar. Mm. And I remember meeting this guy who had come from Sluggers, which was a <laughs> straight bar with batting cages. And I think he had been at a – might have been a bachelor party, but he was just wasted. Was it and his own? No, 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 no. Um, and I just remember like he was very much not living a gay life. Yeah. And I just remember feeling sad for him after the whole thing and thinking like – because he was explaining that there was a girl at the bar who – I don't know if she was like a stripper. I mean, it was not a strip bar, yeah. but she was trying to like engage him in sexual activity and he wasn't interested. And she was like, what is, are you a fag? What's wrong with you? Are you a fag? Like he was telling me the story and I remember being like, oh my God. And so, you know, his response to it was to get really drunk and then go to manhole. And <laughs> that, that showed her. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this thing about straight men, I'm not sure if I should use inverted commas or not. If they identify as straight, then they are straight, right? Hmm, I don't know. know. But anyway, the thing about straight men when they, I mean, this kind of goes back to what we were saying before. When they have this kind of arrogance of like, I'm straight, aren't you like really interested in me because I'm straight and you might want to tear me? <laughs> I find that so off-putting. But I know like lots of men really love that kind of challenge or... I think challenge is the right, yeah, or forbidden yeah. fruit. Um, 
I had my heart broken so much in college by falling for straight men unintentionally that something I'm really glad that I've gotten very good at now is not pursuing unavailable people. Mm -hmm. If I meet a guy and he's taken, it's so easy for me not to nurture feelings for him, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. whereas at that age, I was starting to get able to do it. But so for me, I don't fall for straight guys like Mm -hmm. at all. I can healthfully say that now because I just something about me grew up and was able to be like, he's off limits. Don't bother. But yeah, I mean, I think it's actually kind of cute when I've had friends who are straight over the years come with me to a gay bar and get flirted with and it's like new to them and it's, you know, sweet to see like, wow, people think I'm attractive, you know, (laughs) but certainly I understand what you're saying. But but they're not going around being like, hey, by the way, I'm straight. Don't you want to bag me? Like, that's the kind of attitude that I hate. It's like, it's fine if you're straight, like you can't help it, but don't kind of feel that there's some kind of something better about you or inherently more attractive because of that. Right. Yeah. And the reason that I bring that up, I suppose, is because uh, you said that there were at that time lots of men who were straight there. So I'm assuming that they were having those types of conversations with you. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, I mean, that wasn't most of the bar at all. It was mostly gay men. But um, I definitely remember encountering that more than than I do now. Mm -hmm. Or you could tell if you met a guy who didn't want to really like tell you anything about himself. Mm -hmm. And that was often because he was on the DL. But I guess to describe the bar too, when you walk in, there was like a main bar. It was very dark. And then there was a back room that was a huge dance floor. And that you had to have your shirt off to go back there. And so of course I, yeah, it was a dress code. (sighs) And so I, for the longest time, would not take my shirt off and go in the back. (laughs) <laughs> Even when I found the like bravery to go into the bar, I was like, I can't take my shirt off in front of a bunch of strangers. Well, you're not a like, savage. that's I'm not a savage. But also, I had body issues. It's funny because I was so thin back then, which I did not think I was because I had been a chubby kid and I'm chubby again now. But at the time, I was really thin, really thin. And it's funny because like I'm much more comfortable being shirtless today. Uh-huh. But at the time, I was terrified. And I, and I remember talking to a guy, and we were getting to know each other, and he goes, well, why don't you take your shirt off, and we'll go in the back bar. And I was, I remember like, oh, what? <laughs> what did you say? Why don't I take my shirt off? <laughs> like, I was so put off by it. But I was also like, in my head, this is so stupid. But in my head, I also thought, if I take my shirt off, he's going to see that I don't have a six-pack yeah. stomach. And he's going to lose interest. Like, I was so dumb. I was like, oh, no, my shirt hides my shame. Like, I'm not that – I'm not as fit as, like, the guys in the posters. So, you know, if I take my shirt off, then people will see that and then they won't want to talk to me. Like, I was so dumb. Um, but it's not unwarranted, is it? Like, there are some shallow bitches in the scene. Oh, God, yeah. There are some shallow bitches. But, I mean, I think also that's just part of getting older is I'm much more comfortable with my body today. And the irony is – I had a better body back then. Mm, mm. <laughs> you know, I mean, beauty's in the eye of the beholder. I'm sure there's a lot of guys who would – well, no, I know there are guys who prefer me at the size I am now than the size I was then. But by and large, back then I fit more into societal norms of fit and I was way too hung up on body image to – oh, if you want to hear one like kind of funny story, I remember went over to a guy – this was at Manhole one time and I saw him like he waved me over. He was very smiley. Wait, do people wave you over all the time? 
No, not anymore. Every story I'm getting from it. you is this guy waved me over. I'm like, what? Yeah, this now happens to me. Like a little wave. Okay. Were you by yourself though, or would you go out with yeah, other people? Yeah, but I'd be like sulking in the corner. So that's just not very attractive. To me. Anyway, <laughs> sorry, this isn't about me. This guy waved you over. Well, this guy waved me over, and I went over, and he just had this big happy smile on his face, and short dude, shirtless, nice body, and he starts writing on a napkin. Hi, how are you? And I'm like, oh my god, he's deaf. Like, I've never flirted with a deaf man. And I'm like, sorry, right back, like, I'm great. My name's Homer. What's yours? And I don't remember his name at this point. And I'm like, are you hearing impaired or deaf or however I said it? And he goes, no, I'm high on Coke. <laughs> and I was like, what? And he said, I'm high on Coke and I can't speak when I'm high on Coke. And I was like, this is all going back and forth on a napkin. And I am so new to this world, the idea that he was just casually admitting that he was on Coke <laughs> blew my mind. And then also I was like, you can forget how to speak when you're on Coke. Like, is that a thing? Which it's not. I've never encountered that since. But or if it is, I, I don't know of it. But I just remember being like, God, this is the strangest conversation. And so I started to try to be like, you shouldn't do that. It's really bad for you. And it, it supports criminals. I, I remember saying that. Like, I was very like, how dare you, sir? How dare you tell me that you're on cocaine? Oh, how to win friends and influence people. And his response was like, you're really cute. <laughs> and so, yeah, that didn't go very far. But um, I remember... Um, someone offering me money, I think for sex, but he was veiled about it. And again, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> well, I don't know if he was offering me money for sex per se, or just trying to seduce me with money, but I was sitting there having a drink and this guy came over and said, hi, he didn't wave me over. He came over <laughs> and he's like, um, hi, you know, I can't remember all the, it was a short conversation, but he was like, do you need money? He said that. And I was like, no, I was like, do I need money? No. And he goes, because I've got a lot of it. Or I said, like, why, do you need money or oh, something? Wow. And he goes, no, but I've got a lot of it. And the way he said it was, like, I've got a lot of money, dude. So, therefore, like, you should get with me. And I just remember, again, I was like, what is going on? <laughs> so I just, I was like, oh, I'm all set, thanks, and walked <laughs> away. Uh, and, and in my head, I'm like, I think I was just offered money for sex, but I don't quite know. And this is all very interesting. Oh, I hate that. I hate when you um, don't realize in enough time that you could have gotten into like some stupid adventure. And then it's later on, you're like, oh, damn it. I could have got in trouble. <laughs> well, I'll say this. I was I was young and fetching at the time, I suppose. That does not happen anymore. <laughs> Those conversations don't happen to me today. And that's okay. I'm okay with that. I don't, I don't need to be attracting that. So do you remember when you heard that manhole no longer exists? I remember hearing it got bought and I was very bummed. Because Manhole was unique on that street, and I heard it was going to be turned into more of a, I don't remember the terms people use, but it was, oh, just that it was no longer going to be a leather mm -hmm. bar. You know, a leather bar is darker, dingier, um, guys are shirtless and dancing, and it's just a little bit more intimate. And, you, you know, there were already, in my opinion, enough clubs and bars that were open on the street that Manhole had a unique identity, but... Um, I miss that place. I wish it were still around. I still like leather bars today. Um, okay. If we could end on a cheesy note, if you would indulge me. If you think back to Homer at that time when you 
first moved, well, maybe not when you first moved because you were a bit green then, but like after eight months of being in Chicago and yeah. you found your feet, well, you're finding your feet. Sorry, I keep correcting myself. Yeah. You're figuring things out. You're like on your way. You're uh, embracing your homosexuality. If you could mm-hmm. have a conversation with that Homer and give him some advice, what would it be? Oh, God. I think about this a lot. <laughs> I would say, don't worry about what other people think of you. And I would say, relax and trust that things will work out for you. Because I was so high energy and I think I was so eager. And part of that is just being young. But I think that eagerness was rooted in a belief that if I didn't make something happen for me immediately, nothing would ever work out. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? I was tr- I was trying too hard at things. You know, if I met a guy that I liked, I would just jump on him and that would scare him away. And I think it might have been rooted, par- you know, again, partially just excitement and then also just kind of, a, I think, an underlying belief that I need to make something happen because nothing's going to happen for me if I don't force it. Mm-hmm. Which is a belief that I no longer have, thank God. But I think also I would say don't don't worry about what other people think of you. I was very affected by other people's perception of me, and, and which again I think is normal, but you know it's not not good. Do you do you still worry about what people think about you? Oh yeah, but not like I used to. Mm. And I'm I'm better at catching myself now and being aware of what I'm doing. You know, we're social creatures. You know, it's like we don't want to live most of us in isolation. We want to be accepted. And that's healthy because I think we we are social creatures and we are meant to connect. And no one has to connect with you. You know, people have to choose to connect with you. And so there is, it's understandable that we're concerned, you know, I want to connect with this person. Do they want to connect with me? And to know that you have to be aware of what they think of you. And, you know, some days I'm good at being like, well, if that person doesn't want me, that's okay. Someone else will. And then other days, you know, you think, well, that person doesn't want me. And that's the fifth person in a row. I'm done. You know, I'm done. But I think it's just uh, being able to observe your psyche a little better, just the way that, that we all get to do that more better, more better. I just said more better. The way that we get to do that more as we grow, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Do you have any memories of Manhole? Oh, such a good name. Or clubbing from your own queer scene that you want to share? Well, if you do, why not get in touch? I want to create the biggest online record of queer clubbing and spaces, but I need your help. Go to lostspacespodcast.com and find the section Share a Lost Space to tell me all about what it is you got up to and who with as well because I think that's just as important you can also reach out to me on Facebook Instagram and Twitter if you'd like and my handle across all three is lost spaces pod whilst you are there make sure that you give Homer a little follow on Instagram or Twitter where his handle is Homer Mars and that is Mars with two R's like Mars 
I didn't roll very well there. If you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate if you took the time to subscribe, leave a review on your podcast platform, or just tell other people who you think might be interested in giving it a wee listen too, because I'd be more than happy to welcome them in. I am Kay Anderson, and you have been listening to Lost Spaces. Lost Spaces.